Today we're going to talk about um, one of Jesus' miracles. And this is such a significant miracle that it's the only one, besides his resurrection, it's the only miracle that Jesus performed that's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different eyewitnesses saw it. And, and they recorded it, so there are some lessons that we need to learn from this miracle. And specifically, it's the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Now, the Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men there. Uh, back in those days, that's all they counted was the men. So you just think about this. If there's 5,000 men, there's probably 5,000 women and a couple of kids. You know, So there may be as many as ten to 15,000 people out in this uh, wilderness, and it's the most famous miracle because so many people saw it happen. Now, if you need a miracle in your life, now, I'm I'm not one of those guys, I don't like watching the the television, those guys say, oh, if you'll do this, God will do, but I'm going to tell you there are four principles if you need a miracle to happen in your life. There's four principles from this story that you need to pay attention to. So let's start reading and let's figure out what they are. Mark 6, 34 through 37. When Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, so he began teaching them. Now, you've got to understand, this comes right after Jesus had learned that John the Baptist had been beheaded. The reason he was beheaded was, was because he proclaimed the truth of God. And the king didn't like it. The king was married to his brother's wife. There you go. That's some messed up stuff. John dared to say that you, you having your brother's wife is not right. So he has John the Baptist beheaded, killed. Jesus hears about it, and Jesus is kind of overwhelmed because this is a big deal. This was a friend of his. So Jesus says to all the disciples, he said, let's get in a boat. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee to the wilderness. Let's hang out so that you can be refreshed. They get in the boat, and the Bible tells us right before this this story happens that all the people saw the direction he was going, so they run around the lake, and they're sitting there in the wilderness waiting on Jesus and the disciples when they pull up in the boat. All right, start over. When Jesus saw a large crowd, he was tired. They were supposed to be resting. He had compassion on them, so he began teaching them. By this time, it was late in the day. If you read all of the four different passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you began to put together all the details of the story. They had been there for hours. Jesus had taught them for hours. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came and said, this is a remote place. Send the people away so they can eat and so they can go and buy something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. There are ten to 15,000 hungry people in the wilderness. And Jesus wants us to go to McDonald's and get enough food for all of them. Now, there's a situation brewing, right? And, and we're going to see some really interesting things from this story as we put all four of these accounts together. But when you have a problem and and you need a miracle, the very first thing you need to do on your listening guide is admit, I have a need. you got to admit it. If you were here during the Life's Healing Choices series, you realize that one of the things we don't want to do is admit problems. God never forces a miracle on anyone. He waits for his people to come to him and say, I have a problem. I need your help, God, because here's a problem. Now, is that your first reaction to problems? Your first thought is, I need to talk to God about this. Probably not. What we try to do, humans, we try to hide our problems from others or blame our problems on others or my personal favorite, just pretend they don't exist. What problems? No problems here. But the principle of this story, the very first principle is God does not work in your life until you ask him to. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. 
Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Ask, Jesus said. And some of you are saying, I know, I know what your thought process is. Some of you are saying, I've already asked God to solve my problem and he hadn't done it. Well, hold off on judging God until we go through this whole story till you see all four of these principles because I want you to see if maybe you identify with the disciples in the way they handled the problem. Maybe you're going to see yourself in, in those people who followed Jesus way back in the day and, and maybe you can identify with how they handled this because what they wanted to do was they wanted to blame others. Or, or they wanted to procrastinate or they wanted to worry. So let's look at these. Procrastination. How hard would it be to figure out that people are going to get hungry? I mean, we drive a couple of hours and Janie packs the car with snacks for our children. It, it's not that difficult to figure out that if you're in the middle of the desert and you're hanging out all day, you're probably going to need food and water. And, and we're told in one of the other passages, Jesus had been out there teaching for hours. Now, you'll also find in another passage that Jesus knew what was going on, but no one else did. No one else thought ahead. Now, how many of you deal with problems by procrastinating? Some of you are waiting to lift your hand because it's just not relevant right now. Okay, does procrastination ever solve a problem? Does procrastination help you with filing your taxes? Does procrastination help you with mowing your lawn? Does procrastination help you with spending time with your family, with your children, with your spouse? Does procrastination help you when dealing with cancer? Procrastination always makes the problem worse. Our second intelligent method of dealing with problems is to blame other people. It's not my fault. The disciples didn't want to deal with it, so what did they say? They said to Jesus, um, basically, out of sight, out of mind, tell them to get out of here. Because really what they were saying, if you read between the lines, what they were saying was, we didn't invite all these people to come out here in the wilderness, Jesus. It's their fault for coming out here, Jesus. So let's just kick them out. Then we don't have to deal with the issue. They need to find dinner for themselves. Now, my question to you is, do you ever fail to take responsibility for your problems? Mama didn't love me enough, so I'm a donkey's butt to women. Now, you might not say that out loud, but, but you act like it. My daddy was absent, so I'm going to sleep with every man who looks at me. My preacher was a jerk, so I'm going to live like hell and blame God for it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Blaming others, all it does is it keeps you stuck in a rut, and that rut is going to kill you. If you continue on the path that you're going, it will kill you. The third intelligent way we handle problems is to worry. If you prayed about your problems as much as you worry about your problems, how worried would you be? Not very. And did you know if you know how to worry, you already know how to worship. Worry is fixating on the problem. Worship is fixating on God who is the solution to your problems. Do you see why it's so important in the Bible to get together and worship, to worship privately in your own home on a regular basis and to worship corporately like we do every weekend? Do you see why that's important? Because if I see God, my problems shrink because my God is bigger than my problems. But if all I'm doing is fixating on my problems, my problems get so big that I can't see God anymore and I start to act like a jerk because I'm stressed out. Anybody relate? The disciples had it backwards. They fixated on the problem, and the problem looked too big. It would take eight months' wages. 
Okay, let's say that that Palestine shows up out here and is hungry. And, that, and Jesus says, you feed them. And our board members are going, oh! 18,000 people are hungry and we're supposed to feed them? Eight months wages ain't going to do Palestine, I don't think. Let's say you make $4,000, And the disciples, they did a little cost analysis and their, their anxiety goes into overdrive. And, and I can imagine Peter and some of the guys, they're going, oh, Jesus... We can't feed this many people. Who's, who's going to transport the food out here? Who's going to keep it warm? What about liability insurance? Who's going to take care of this stuff? Who's going to clean up the mess? Well, what they'd forgotten was Jesus was there with him. Do you remember one of Jesus' favorite names for himself? He said, I am the bread of life. Do you remember where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. So the bread of life, who was born from the place called the house of bread, is living with him. Could have stone, turned stones into bread. And they're looking for Burger King. Doesn't make sense. God says, I will, ask, I will help, help if you're going to transport the food out here. Who's going to keep it warm? What about liability insurance? Who's going to take care of this stuff? Who's going to clean up the mess? Well, what they'd forgotten was... Jesus was there with him. Do you remember one of Jesus' favorite names for himself? He said, I am the bread of life. Do you remember where Jesus was born? Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. So the bread of life, who was born from the place called the house of bread, is living with him. Could have stone, turned stones into bread. And they're looking for Burger King. Doesn't make sense. God said, $4,000, And the disciples, they did a little cost analysis, and their, their anxiety goes into overdrive. And, and I can imagine Peter and some of the guys, they're going, Oh, Jesus, we can't feed this many people. Who's, who's going to transport the food out here? Who's going to keep it warm? What about liability insurance? Who's going to take And our board members are going, Oh, 18,000 people are hungry and we're supposed to feed them? Eight months wages ain't going to do Palestine, I don't think. Let's say you make $4,000, $32,000. And the disciples, they did a little cost analysis and their, their anxiety goes into overdrive. And, and I can imagine Peter and some of the guys, they're going, Oh, Jesus, we can't feed this many people. Who's, who's going to transport the food out here? Who's going to keep it warm? What about liability insurance? Do you see why it's so important in the Bible to get together and worship? To worship privately in your own home on a regular basis and to worship corporately like we do every weekend? Do you see why that's important? Because if I see God, my problems shrink because my God is bigger than my problems. But if all I'm doing is afraid about your problems as much as you worry about your problems, how worried would you be? Not very. And did you know if you know how to worry... You already know how to worship. Worry is fixating on the problem. Worship is where the church did something that was so big that everybody around heard about it and said, there must be a God and he must be pleased with that church. That's my dream for new life. So I come to God in faith. I, I, I admit I have a need and I, this, and I say, here's what I've got to work with. And then, number three, I give God whatever I have. 
Now, if you read this story in the book of John, you find out that one of the followers was named Andrew. He was a disciple, one of the 12 disciples, and he's the one talking to Jesus. He found a little boy in the crowd who had a sack lunch, and it was just five little barley loaves, probably uh, little muffin-type things, and, and probably uh, it was two fish. The fish were probably dried sardines. That's my dream for new life. So I come to God in faith. I, I, I admit I have a need, and I... Look around and I say, here's what I've got to work with. And then, number three, I give God whatever. This little boy becomes a hero not because he had the best lunch. He becomes the hero of the story because he gave his lunch to Jesus Christ. And this is the third principle. God uses whatever I give him. Continuing in verse 42. Jesus, and it was just five little barley loaves, probably uh, little muffin type things, and, and probably... It was two fish. The fish were probably dried sardines. This was the the lunch, the typical lunch of the poor in Palestine. Now, I'm sure in that in a crowd that size, 10 to 15,000, probably somebody brought a better lunch. This little boy becomes a hero not because he had the best lunch. He becomes the hero of the story because he gave his lunch to Jesus Christ. And this is the third principle. God uses whatever probably uh, little muffin type things and and probably uh, it was two fish the fish were probably dried sardines this was the the lunch the typical lunch of the poor in palestine now i'm sure in that in a crowd that size 10 to 15,000 probably somebody brought a better lunch this little boy becomes a hero not because he had the best lunch he becomes the hero of the story because he gave his lunch to jesus christ And this is the third principle. God uses whatever I give him. Continuing in verse 42. Not except from a grouch. You want to know why? Now, we may keep a record of it. And you get that at the end of the year when you get your doing that over and over. And so it's recorded by four different eyewitnesses in four different places in the Bible. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, years ago, I saw a bumper sticker. There was this bumper sticker around. I don't know if if you saw this, but it said, God loves a cheerful giver, but he accepts from a grouch. That may be funny, but it's not true. God does not accept from a grouch. You want to know why? Now, we may keep a record of it, and you get that at the end of the year when you get your giving statement. But (laughs) if you ever feel pressured to give, don't give. Guilt is not something that comes from the Bible. Now, conviction, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's totally different. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, I can't sleep at night. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, there is an ache in my heart, and I have to do something about whatever God's convicted me about. But don't ever let someone get you into doing something, and then because that represents your life. God is more interested in the attitude of your giving than in the amount of your giving. And some of you are going, good, I'm giving a dime today. Well, then your attitude is bad. If you ever feel pressured to give, don't give. Guilt is not something that comes from the Bible. Now, conviction, if the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's totally different. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, I can't sleep at night. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, there is an ache in my heart, and I have to do something about whatever God's convicted me about. He doesn't want your time if you give it grudgingly. He doesn't want your talent if you give it grudgingly. God wants what's... God wants what all of that stuff represents, which is your heart. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your time. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your talent. He wants your heart. 
because that represents your life. Tearful giver, but he accepts from a grouch. That may be funny, but it's not true. God does not accept from a grouch. You want to know why? Now, we may keep a record of it, and you get that at the end of the year when you get your giving statement, but it doesn't count with God if you give it grudgingly. But Jesus is doing that over and over. And so it's recorded by four different eyewitnesses in four different places in the Bible. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, years ago, I saw a bumper sticker. There was this bumper sticker around. I don't know if, if you saw this, but it said, God loves a cheerful giver, but he accepts from a grouch. Type things, and, and probably, it was two fish. The fish were probably dried sardines. This was the, the lunch, the typical lunch of the poor in Palestine. Now, uh, Lord, this is humanly impossible. We cannot do this. And, and then God has you right where he wants you. It exists, but I'm going to believe in spite of all the evidence. God claimed that Christians, they follow God out of condition. This is the second principle. God always, they did a little cost analysis and their, their anxiety goes into overdrive. And, and I can imagine Peter and some of the guys, they're going, oh, Jesus, we can't feed. You see why it's so important in the Bible to get together and worship, to worship privately in your own home on a regular basis and to worship corporately like we do every weekend if you continue on the path that you're going it will kill you the th- now you might not say that out now how many of you deal with problems by procrastinating some of you are waiting to lift your hand. you can identify with how they handled this because what they wanted to do was they wanted to blame others Universal principle of sowing and reaping happens. If you have an okra seed, you plant it. I've done this in our garden back when I was a kid in Borger. We would plant it. I would go out there and till the thing. It's really funny because Dad got me one of those tillers as a front tiller, and, and the ground was so hard, I'd be running across the backyard trying to keep up with the tiller. And, and luckily, I didn't hit things that were alive. I think that's why Dad put me way in the back part of the yard. But I had to till the ground, and I had to corn and the okra and the tomatoes. I had to plant all of that stuff. And then this amazing thing happened. If I took care of that, afterwards I got more than the one seed I planted. You put corn in the ground, do you get one kernel of corn back? You get hundreds. The thing is really funny because Dad got me one of those tillers as a front tiller, and, and the ground was so hard I'd be running across the backyard trying to keep up with the tiller. And, and luckily I didn't hit things that were alive. I think that's why Dad put me way in the back part of the yard. But I had to till the ground, and I had to plant the corn and the okra and the tomatoes. I had to plant all of that stuff. And then this amazing thing happened. If I took care of that, afterwards I got more than the one seed I planted. So love the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you can never become like Jesus until you become a giver. Give me whatever of sowing and reaping. And, and why, does, why does the universe run on this? You give God money, he, he multiplies it. You give him your reputation, he multiplies it. You give him anything, he multiplies it. Why did God set up the universe like this? Because he wants to teach you to become a giver. You can't be like God unless you're generous. God so loved the world that he gave in the back part of the yard. But I had to till the ground and I had to plant the corn and the okra and the tomatoes. I had to plant all of that stuff. And then he wants to do through us. God could have rained down bread from heaven. 
We just watched Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. God could have done that. Food just falling from heaven. But he wanted to work through the disciples. What the disciples were waiting for God to do for them, God wanted to do through them. So through them, God fed the crowd. Through the disciples, God fed the crowd. And, and oftentimes what you're waiting for God to do for you, God is waiting to do through you. What you're waiting for God to do for your marriage, God wants to do through your marriage. What you're waiting for God to do for you, God wants to do through you. Do you understand that? God doesn't get the credit. God gets the credit. And see, we're, we're waiting on God to do for us what God wants to do through us. God could have rained down bread from heaven. We just watched Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. God could have done that. Food just fallen from heaven. But he wanted to work through the disciples. What the disciples were waiting for God to do for them, God wanted to do through them. Do things through people. Ordinary people. He does things that are supernatural because then the person doesn't get the credit. God gets the credit. And see, we're, we're waiting on God to do for us what God wants to do through us. God could have rained down bread from heaven. We just watched... Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. The key to this verse is God likes to do things through people. Ordinary people. He does things that are supernatural because we didn't have a job and and I've built cow pens to make money to buy groceries. I swept floors at another church that was built here in town. I swept floors for minimum wage just to put groceries on the table. And we kept crying out to God saying, God, why won't you take us to another church? Why won't you do something for us, God? Why can't we do this type of church, these type of activities for adults? I mean, I love teenagers, but my goal in life was not to be a youth minister when my kids were youth age. I used to have hair until I became a youth minister and it's gone. And so we began to dream about this church and for months we prayed and food and cheese dip and we'd play ping pong and we'd tell them about Jesus and kids were getting saved and it was just crazy what was happening. And I began to think... Why can't this happen in big church? Why can't, why can't we do this type of church, these type of activities for adults? I mean, I love teenagers, but my goal in life was not to be a youth minister when my kids were youth age. I used to have hair until I became a youth. Looking over here, and there were ten things on that list. Eight of them were already yeses, and I'm checking them. I'm going, wow, am I stupid? And I looked at Janie and I said, do we go for it? Some of the wisest words she's ever said. She said, I don't want to look back at and, and ten of them were no. I'm dense. you got to understand. No, 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 no. And, and Janie said, she, uh, God gave me a bright woman for a reason. She said, look at the other side of the page. So we're sitting in our car at Lower Lake right there by the, the pier that goes out in the water. And I look over on this side of the page, and it was all about starting a church. And we had not even really prayed about starting a church. We wanted God to do something for us. Take a, On a Sunday afternoon, when we found out the only church that was interested in us said, no, we don't want to hire you. Janie and I went out to Lower Lake, and we were sitting there, and we opened up my prayer journal. And we'd been praying all of these things. There were ten things on this side of the page. On the left side of the page, I can still see it. And, and ten of them were no. I'm dense. You've got to understand. No, 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 no. And, and Janie said, she, uh, God gave me a bright woman. 
money to buy groceries. I swept floors at another church that was built here in town. I swept floors for minimum wage just to put groceries on the table. And we kept crying out to God saying, God, why won't you take us to another church? Why won't you do something for us, God? And then on a, on a Sunday afternoon, when we found out the only church that was interested in us said, no, we don't want to hire you. Stuff in a youth ministry that just was crazy. On a Saturday night, sometimes we'd have as many as 500 teenagers in Palestine, Texas. We'd feed them food and cheese dip and we'd play ping pong and we'd tell them about Jesus. And kids were getting saved and it was just crazy what was happening. And I began to think, why can't this this building we met back there and those stairs from hell and we climbed those things for four years and we paid that and we prayed and we desperately asked God to get us away from the stairway to hell. It wasn't the stairway to hell, stairway to hell. That really bothers mom. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we get it, sometimes we wouldn't. And I told mom that first Christmas, I said, I'll tell you what, mama, I've never been in a church where the percentage of people who give 10% of their income is any higher than this little church. And I will take these people and I will spend the rest of my life trying to build them up into fully devoted followers of Christ rather than go back into a traditional church and do things the way I have done before. And people gave and they sacrificed and they gave. It's now Verizon. It was Altel and it was all these. We met in what used to be Rounder's Pizza Place. Froze our tails off. And then we went to a computer shop and people kept kept giving. And I'm telling you, I told my mom one time early on because mom was worried about me. Mom's always worried about her kids, you know, and, and we're not getting a paycheck. And that really bothers mom. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we get it, sometimes we wouldn't. And I told mom that first Christmas, I said, I'll tell you what, mom. No, 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 no. And, and Janie said, she, uh, God gave me a bright woman for a reason. She said, look at the other side of the page. So we're sitting in our car ministry that just was crazy on a saturday night sometimes we'd have as many as 500 teenagers in palestine texas we'd feed them food and cheese and out here on the parking lot maybe it seats 800 maybe it seats a thousand i don't know that yet but i think this building is supposed to be children and youth building and i think that we're supposed to build that because i believe god wants us to reach 10 percent of palestine texas and if you'd asked me seven years ago if yeah you're doing the math I believe God wants us to get to a new place and we're not going to get to that place unless we become the most fully devoted followers of Christ in Anderson County. If we're going to be we're going to become the most mature church that we can possibly become. That's my dream. And as we do, we will give of our lives for something that will outlast us. Something that lives on. I plan to build this church the rest of my life. And then when I die, I'm, I want to pass it off to somebody who will build this church the rest of their lifetime. I want this thing to last because the local church is the hope of the world. And if we don't do it, who will? If you don't join, who's going to take your place? God is going to multiply what we do in the next few weeks. And I'm asking you to join. Whether you're a member of the church, I'm going to ask you to, to, to put, put your hand in and say, I, I'll do it. Now, if you're one of those folks who says, yes, I will do whatever. Before I even know what God asked me to do. Abraham in the Old Testament will look at him in a couple of weeks. God says, get up and go to a place I will show you. Abraham had to leave just totally trusting God. So I'm asking you to say yes to God before you even know what God's asking you to do. And if you say yes, here's, here's what you can expect. Four things on your listening guide that you can expect in the next seven weeks. 
Because we're going to build a great life if you'll follow these principles. Number one, you can expect to see some miracles. If you'll do these things I just told you about, admit to God you have a need. If you'll assess your life, give to God what you need and expect God to multiply, you're going to see some flat-out miracles. Some of you are going to get job promotions. Some of you are going to get windfalls from places you don't even know. Some of your marriages are going to be put back together. Some of you relationships with husband, wife, child. I don't know. God's going to work a miracle in you, and he's going to do some stuff that you could never have done on your own simply because you trust in him. You're going to see some miracles. Number two, you can expect to grow spiritually. The number one issue every pastor I know is how to help the church move from step one to step two to step three spiritually to keep on moving towards Christ. Because quite honestly, we could stop growing right now and we could give with the same level that we gave last year and and we could live at a comfortable level. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to maintain. And if you don't want to grow spiritually, I'm going to... As humbly as I can suggest you find another church for the next seven weeks. Or maybe for good. Because if you're going to be negative and you're going to whine and, and we don't want you. We need your seat for someone who's lost and hadn't even heard about Jesus yet. Because I'm not going to hold back anything. I'm not going to pull any punches for the next seven weeks. If you want to grow spiritually, this is the place to be. Third thing. Holy cow. I wrote this on Thursday, never knowing the plumbing issues and the electrical issues we were going to have. You can expect to be hassled by Satan. Jeff and I were talking about it, and Jeff, Jeff's had a terrible week, and, and uh, I've had the last 48 hours has been kind of crazy trying to get water on for this service. You know you're in trouble if you're expecting me to get water on in the church for the service. You're in serious trouble. When people get serious about growing spiritually and when people get serious about the fellowship in their church, Satan does not want that to happen. So he will throw all of his resources against it because he knows when a church gets serious that people who are far from God are going to be drawn near to God. And he does not want that to happen. And he does not want you to be involved. Some of you are going to have car trouble. Some of you are going to get laid off. Some of you are going to have plumbing issues. Some of you are going to have problems in your marriage you never imagined. All of this is in an attempt by your enemy, Satan, to rob you of the blessing. But I'm telling you, I was outside this morning praying for the plumbing. God, there's a devil here. We need to get rid of this sucker so we can have plumbing. Laying hands on the plumbing. But I'm telling you, sometimes you have to speak out loud and say, Satan, I know this is from you. I recognize it and I rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't let him rob you of your joy. And then the last one is to experience joy. When people sacrifice, others can be found. I fully expect next time we do the cardboard testimonies to have twice as many people standing up here talking about their issues that God has rescued them from. Because when you sacrifice, there's going to be other people come through the door who right now don't even know they need Christ. But when God finds a church that he can trust, he will bless them. When he wants to birth some new spiritual babies, God looks for the warmest incubator he can find. And I know I'm biased, but I believe that incubator is New Life Community Church. I believe this is the place that God wants to birth a bunch of new Christians and grow them up into full spiritual maturity. Now, let me tell you one other thing, some, some reactions you can expect in these next seven weeks. I'm going to tell you this ahead of time, just getting it all out on the table. 
Number one, there are going to be some people who are going to grow and who are going to give of their lives no matter what we ask them to do. They don't need a spiritual growth emphasis to do this. They're mature Christians and they're going to do that. Second type of response we're going to get there, some people are not going to grow and they're not going to give no matter what happens. We don't wait on them. Some of them are just in personal pain. And, and what we do around here when you're in personal pain, you tend to focus totally on yourself. We minister to people who are in personal pain. We, we do that. But we're not going to wait on them. Others, just out of materialism or whatever, they don't want to give and they don't want to grow, and that's fine. If you don't want to be a part of this campaign, then don't. It's your loss. But don't you dare rob the rest of us of our joy of sacrificing for our Savior. Then there are those people who are going to catch the vision of what New Life Community Church is all about. And, and they're going to see, oh man, we need to build something because we're supposed to be a lighthouse on this side of town and we're supposed to reach Anderson County. And we're not finished yet. And some people are going to catch the vision and they're going to give and God is going to bless them. This place is going to outlast us all. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray two things. If you're willing to do this, I want you to pray two things. Just bow your heads and, and you can decide this silently if you want to pray this. Number one, God help me to grow spiritually over the next six, uh, seven weeks. Second thing I want you to pray is God, give us a miracle in our church family. God, I don't know who's in, but you do. And I look forward to what you're going to do in the next seven weeks that we would not have believed if you'd told us ahead of time. We're going to look around and watch and be utterly amazed because we know you're a God of miracles. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.